This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 19. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, March 30th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode. And today, I'm your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined by Jacob Paulson, the man, Glad to the be legend. Here. The legend, yeah. The the great the great one of ConcealedCarry.com. <laughs> Not the great one, but uh, the great one of our little empire. <laughs> there's, there's not that many people here, so it's a it's like, uh, not a lot of competition. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're glad to be back with you all for another episode of the podcast. Actually, this being episode 19 of season five, we're actually at the end of another quarter, which means that uh, next week our our season refreshes if you will we move on to season six so this is the last episode of season five appreciate you all being with us and supporting the podcast uh for all of your support uh both uh financially those of you that choose to support our our uh, sponsors or buy products from us at concealedcarry.com and our our uh, sub brands also those of you that are kind enough to leave uh, nice, nice reviews of the podcast wherever you might listen to us online, or those of you that take time to email us and let us know your thoughts and all that. We appreciate you all. Glad to, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to starting season six. It'll be a great time. <clears throat> Today we are going to be talking about the past, the present, and the uncertain future. That's the title of our episode. We're going to look at kind of the recent history uh, of the industry, if you will, of talking about guns, firearms, and ammunition, and training, whatnot. Uh, there's been a lot that's taken place the last couple of years. Uh, all of COVID and riots in the streets, shortages on the store shelves, ammunition costs rising, uh, all kinds of craziness. Uh, we're going to talk about the present, where we're at now, dealing with inflation, fuel costs, um, war in the world, right? War in Ukraine, etc. We'll look at the future and see, you know, what what we see from our our little vantage point, if you will. And uh, Jacob, I know has a lot of strong thoughts and, and feelings and opinions about this, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I had this this episode concept in the back of my mind and 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 knew when you and I got back together it might be uh, a good one. Today's episode though, first before we get into the, the topic, sponsored by CCW Safe, ccwsafe.com, of course, is their website. That's where you can find them. Uh, I would encourage you to go over to ccwsafe.com if you are considering a change or re- renewing or looking into the idea of some kind of self defense coverage, legal coverage. Uh, CCW Safe is our choice. I know Jacob's a member, I'm a member, been a member for several years now. And uh, proud of that fact and uh, very, very happy, very pleased with the coverage that they provide. Um, I think that they've got the best value on the market, especially if you're, if you're looking at their ultimate plan, you're thinking that's a little rich for my blood. Don't overlook the defender or the protector plans. Those are a huge value for what you get, I think. Because don't forget that CCW safe coverage is unlimited in terms of there's no limit to like if your trial costs 
whether it's $10,000, $50,000, $2 million. There's no limit that they put on that coverage. Uh, they cover uh, uh, bailing you out. They cover all kinds of things, okay? Now, the coverage, there's some variance between the defender and protector plans and the ultimate plan, but even with the the uh, uh, more entry-level plans, you get fantastic and you still get unlimited legal representation uh, uh, coverage. So it's a, it's a great program to look into. I encourage you to take a look. CCWSafe.com, again, the website. You can use the the discount code CC Podcast to save. Oh, Jacob's here, so he'll correct me. Is it 10 or 15%? <laughs> Maybe he doesn't remember. <laughs> um, I think it's 10. I'm pretty sure it's 10%. That sounds, that's what I think it is. Yeah, see, it gets, it gets complicated because... Uh, our Guardian Nation members, I know, save twenty percent. That that part I know. So uh, so I just I just need to remember that that the the non-member discount is half of that, ten percent. There we go. CC Podcast save ten percent off your membership or renewal of your membership at ccwsafe.com. Also, today's episode sponsored by Gunfighter Gun Oil. Gunfighteroil.com is a website where you can find them. And this is the lubricant and cleaning products that I am currently using and I'm very, very, very happy with. In fact, I've got them sitting just over on the corner of my desk here. Just doing a little bit of cleaning of one of my guns uh, last night. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say, Jacob. I mean, on the one hand, it's like, well, lube is lube is lube. And, you know, as long as I get my gun clean and it's lubricated, like, it'll work, right? But the fact is, not all lubricants are created equally, because I definitely have seen some that haven't worked very well at all, or maybe are more of an issue in temperature-sensitive, uh, you know, uh, you know, when temperature changes and things like that occur, or maybe they're a little more sensitive with dirt or dust, that kind of stuff. Gunfighter gun oil, though, I have used in all ranges of temperatures. I've used in all kinds of environments, and I couldn't be happier. I have nothing better than that to say and it is a product i am happy with and will continue to use so that's 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 my stamp of approval done there you go approved gunfighteroil.com again their website go check them out um i especially appreciate that you can buy their products like you can get the uh the little needle tip applicator i highly recommend that reduces the mess uh, sometimes associated with applying lubricants and things to, to, to products. Their solvent or their cleaner works really, really, really well. Um, yeah, so check them out. We appreciate your support of our sponsors that support us and make what we do here possible. So let's get into our topic today. Again, we wanted to take a little bit of a different angle, a different approach today and, and kind of, I was thinking, you know, we're here at the end of a, a season of the podcast. So it was like, I naturally was inclined to sort of look back and I, my mind just started going further back and further back and thinking, well, we've gone through a lot in the last couple of years, both, both as a business, but also as a nation, as a, even within my community, even within my family, there's been a lot that's taken place the last two, three years. Uh, I, I've, feel like we're finally coming out of this whole COVID mess. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant, you know, like there's some maybe like almost PTSD like fear there of, of like, you know, there's this, this reservation that 
some suddenly something's going to happen and they're going to declare we got to have lockdowns again or something. Um, I don't know whether or not that'll happen, but but there's there is certainly that that fear. Uh, but it looks, you know, the future in that regard looks promising, uh, at least by from my perspective. So I mean that that feels good. That feels nice because I'll tell you there there was some rough days and weeks and months there when nobody could really go anywhere and do anything fun. But it was great for the gun industry. And it was, it was great for the two A community, frankly, like that was, that was one of the best growth periods we've had as an industry since like 2017, 2016. So it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly true. I mean, and some of that, I think you know, one of the things that is, I think, difficult to understand and wrap our heads around is, is in the, in the, in the world, you know, like looking at things as a whole, right. Um, there are so many factors and variables that influence things. And so I was thinking about like, remember all the riots that we had through the summer of uh, 2020, you know, there was, uh, there were a couple of uh, high-profile law enforcement involved shootings um, that that kind of kicked off some things, and uh, there was, I think, this pent-up uh, fear and frustration because we were seeing shortages of various products and resources and things on the store shelves and food, toilet paper. You know, uh, I think people being pent up uh, probably created some some sort of like a societal level anxiety that that just a lot of things started to spill over and it created a lot of problems um and, and that, so that's kind of what I, where my, part of my mind was going is that uh i remember sitting here two years ago maybe, maybe not quite two years because two years ago about this time frame was when the lockdowns first really were, were getting started. But, you know, about two years ago, say the late May and into the June and July timeframes of 2020, uh, it was kind of chaotic out there. You hear, you see in cities that were burning, uh, riots in the streets, uh, a rise in crime. Uh, we've certainly seen examples of, of things that have come across the desk. If you, you know, so to speak of, uh, you know, I've perceived an increase in justified save stories. seems like there's a plethora of things compared to like four or five years ago. could be wrong, but it could be uh, some confirmation bias there to some extent. But I mean, there's sometimes just these crazy stories that you're like, wow, like where'd this come from? And there's three or four of them in a single episode versus like one. So it just seems like my perception is, is that, the last two years have been pretty chaotic. Yeah, I, I mean, I think things have been chaotic, but I don't think, <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of different ways for us to think about chaotic or define chaotic, or, or frankly, the better question is, what does chaotic do? What is its impact on, on, on you know, the business world, the, the economic world, and the behavior, the econ- economics? To be clear, what, what, the word economics, I think most people associate with the study of, of currency and movement of money, but economics is really a study of, of human behavior <clears throat> and, and human behavior obviously does drive actual financial things, but th- that's the better question to ask here is what is the, the impact of the economy? Like what is, how does it change human behavior for these things to happen? Uh, I, I think 
I try and I try and tell people that like you got to think of the firearm industry as like uh, like we all work in an orchard, and every once in a while we get to a point where we've we've been we've been slacking and the the trees have grown a bunch of fruit and it's low hanging, and something happens that causes us to go and just harvest all the low hanging fruit. There's a, a phrase everybody understands, right? The low hanging fruit. Like we just go and we just man, we just have a huge harvest and we just get it and we just crush it. Uh, and we, But we pull all of that low-hanging fruit out of the marketplace, out of the orchard, and now things kind of return back to a point where you're, you're having to work to get the fruit, <laughs> right? You have to go pretty high up the tree to get it again. And that seems, and so that comes in cycles. And, and COVID and quarantine and civil unrest was a harvest, it was a harvest time. We hadn't had a harvest in several years, and that was a huge harvest. You know, uh, estimates are that we added probably six to eight million new gun owners in the country in, in the year 2020. Uh, that's that's crazy number of new gun owners. Yeah. Um, concealed carry permit uh, numbers are, are through the roof. Also, we kind of have to estimate on most of those. Very few states actually publicize a number of, of active permits, but we certainly know that generally speaking that there's a pretty significant increase. Estimates right now are in the realm of you know, 15 million concealed carry permits out there uh, across different states. And that uh, number is increasing despite what we're seeing with constitutional carry, which is something else we should discuss. The, the last number I remember is actually a bit higher than that, like closer to 20. Um <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, I think Matthew and I did a did a news episode uh, where we talked about that. So yeah, that's grown substantially in the last few years. And you're right about constitutional carry states. I mean, we we will you know the more of those states that we add, uh, that's more and more people that we won't know about that are carrying a gun uh, concealed or whatever. So yeah, absolutely, 100. We've seen substantial growth in gun ownership, gun purchases permits gun carrying folks so yeah so here's some some numbers from 2021 the number of concealed handgun permits has soared to over 21.52 million a 48 percent increase since 2016 this is as of 2021 mm-hmm. also a 10.5 percent increase over the number of permits we counted a year ago in 2020 that's from um, john lott you know I, he's mm-hmm. probably the best yep. source for this kind of thing so yeah yeah the point is we've, we've had a harvest like 2020, 2021 was a harvest season for the gun world and we're rebounding out of harvest. And this, this is cyclical. This just comes, you know, <laughs> every couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so you're right about that. That I, I think with uh, chaos and uncertainty um, there's this natural, you know, there's this trend of people that tend to buy let's call them, I don't know, preparedness type items uh, more than they maybe otherwise would. I, I think in that regard, what I'm referring to is that, and I remember seeing some some things like on Twitter and a few places online where people were voicing more concern about their own personal and, and their own household protection because of you know, you know, the uncertainty they were seeing in, in the streets of their cities sometimes and uh, response times from law enforcement, um, you know, and, and even if your city was not directly affected, there was this perception, I think, nationwide that, wow, things are kind of getting a little crazy, a little bit, you know, just don't know what's going to happen. And like maybe I can't trust 
you know, maybe up to this point, I felt reasonably safe in my community, or at least felt like if something happened, I could call 911 and I would get help. But people, you know, have this paradigm shift in their, in their lives of, oh, I am like, it's up to me to protect myself, to defend my home, my family, my household, that I am my, my own first responder, um, not the police. <laughs> They're the secondary folks. They're the guys that get there. Maybe they get there in three or four minutes, but maybe they don't get there for 15 minutes so or longer. So, uh, or, or ever, you know, like there were certainly cer- some cities that were more impacted than others where folks would call and they'd be like, yeah, sorry, we're overloaded right now. Like we, we ain't got nobody, you know? So, so I think you see that. And I, I think that that spills over into people realizing, and that's, that's a, that's a scary thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing for people to realize that, Hey, I'm responsible for myself, or at least I need to be. And then hopefully that turns into, or leads into a desire to become educated and trained on those sorts of things. So one thing I thought was that training was going to suffer in a big way uh, during COVID. And, you know, as things got more difficult uh, on a societal level um, and even now, like, with the way inflation is going, it, it still kind of makes me think, oh, you know, is this, how's this going to impact like classes that I'm trying to set up and teach and, and things like that. But really things have, have still done pretty well. Um, I don't, I don't know about, I can't speak for all instructors, but uh, I know that, you know, I, I know instructors that have been busier than ever during the last two, three years. I know well, you, some c- that- you certainly would not be a good litmus test for the industry as far as training goes. <clears throat> um, well, I, I don't know about that. I think, I think that, <laughs> I, do. I, I think that there's uh, I think there's spillover though, you know, I mean, so to some degree, but, but yeah, it's your, your, yeah. How your classes are filling up is not a good litmus test. Like we, we have, we have a pretty good visibility as a company. I don't think it's, it's phenomenal. And, and really we see visibility in a couple of different, what I'll call sectors of, of firearm training. But um, for one, we're flooding the marketplace with more firearm instructors. And this is true anytime an industry sees a surge, right? So when real estate is booming, which it is right now, we're seeing tons more real estate agents and more real estate brokers coming into the market. And that when there's, when the, when an industry shrinks, you clean house, you get rid of all the bottom level providers that were part-time and just doing it because they can make some money. Now they're not making money and they're out, right? So that's another cyclical thing. And we've seen this happen several times. It's 2017, 2018, we were adding fire instructors constantly. And then 2019, 2020, or 2019, 2020 really started to slow down. We started to see people going out of business. And now it's it's flipped around again, right? We're, we're flooding the market with more firearm instructors. So that sometimes makes it feel like there's less to go around, but that doesn't, but there's still overall, the number of people seeking training, I think, is higher now than it was, say, in 2019 or 2018, mm-hmm. but not in a crazy way. I, I think that, you know, is the market up? Yes. But is it up 100%? No. Is it up 50%? No. I think it's maybe up 10, 15, 20% today over mm-hmm. where it was maybe in 2018 or 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but all around, there's certainly more people seeking training. Um, but we're also on the downside of that. I, th- I think we're going to see the market um, shrink a little bit. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't disagree uh, with your analysis there. Uh, but 
you know, like I said, I, we, we have had a big influ- influx of new gun owners and new gun carriers coming in. And uh, uh, I, I've just been impressed, you know, and I'm not just talking about me. I'm just talking about people I know that are in the industry, Jacob. And, you know, that, that there's people that are still filling classes and doing great in that regard. And I'm glad for that because that means people are getting trained. I hope it continues. I, I know it's tough. Like it, it gets more difficult for people, you know, and if they're considering particularly traveling to a class uh, or anything like that, you know, then they're starting to add into the factor of, well, at one time I wouldn't have really been all that concerned about my travel expense because I would just drive and it would be 20 bucks in fuel. And now that 20 bucks turns into 60 bucks or a hundred bucks or, you know, I, what, however far you're going. So, um, all those are factors in people's uh, decision making of, of you know where they ha- that where they can uh, uh, apply resources and and because uh, you know everything is uh, is fighting for resources. Uh, we we all have uh, limitations and typically most of us have limitations on our disposable income. So anyway, um, we are here now in uh, 2022. The last few months, again, have been interesting. Uh, we seem to have a pretty widespread, uh, you know, fully fully involved war going on between Russia and Ukraine. That's been, uh, you know, interesting to see because, I mean, it's terrible, obviously, but it's it's interesting for me just as, a, as an outsider looking in because I would have, if you'd asked me a year ago, like, hey, or, or mentioned to me, like, a year from now, Russia is going to be attacking Ukraine. I've been like, you're crazy, you know, and my, how quickly things can change. And that's just a further reinforcement of how quickly life can change for any one of us. And that, that could be on a personal level, meaning, uh, you know, recently a, a friend of mine had a family member diagnosed with cancer. Their whole life has changed in an instant. You know, now it's filled with... Uh, doctor's appointments and chemotherapy and radiation treatments and stuff down the road, um, doctor's bills, insurance, getting involved, you know, I mean, all just life can change so quickly. And so, I mean, I, what do you see with uh, the current state of things, Jacob, uh, just looking, looking broadly, but also even looking narrowly, however you wanted to find that. Let me talk about politics for a minute, because that's something that's on my mind. And I think probably mm-hmm. the, the mind of our listeners is, you know, where are we at with gun control and what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, if you look back at, at presidential and other major elections over the last, let's say, 12 to 15, 16 years, gun control has been a serious topic in most of those. Right. What, well, what about guns? What about the Second Amendment? Uh, certainly not the only thing, right? Economies and you know, climate change and any other number of topics that may be important at any given time or that a, a specific candidate might choose to focus on. But traditionally, we've seen a trend where gun control or gun-related politics are significant talking point in elections. In the 2020 election, that was not the case. You know, think think back to COVID time and quarantine and, you know, Biden versus Trump. And do you remember any conversations about gun control? Now, maybe because was, you are part of this. A little bit because there yeah. was Biden's, uh, you know, snafu of referring to an AR-15 sure. as an AR-14 and, and that kind of like there but was some of three, those, 300 million, you know, gun deaths a year in the United States and all of right, his right. other great. But, but, but you're, you're not wrong in that it wasn't Relatively. a primary 
focus mm-hmm. of campaign. Not even close. And 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 where previously the Democratic Party is as focused on it as a platform, it was very much so diminished mm. in, in this election cycle. So you you see a world where one of two things are happening. Either A, they did the decisions made that talking about gun control is not getting us anywhere, or it's just relative to other things we could be talking about. It's not going to win us the election, right? Of all the things we could focus in about our opponent, in this case, I'm, I'm thinking specifically, I'm using as an example, Biden versus Trump. Uh, you, you just didn't see gun control as one of the major topics. And now here we are in 2022, we're going to have elections again uh, this year, not presidential election, obviously, but we're going to have some, some important elections take place this year. And you're going to see that again. Uh, Think about the series of events. You know, you're in a situation where it's election year, it's 2020, COVID breaks out. We have plenty of things we can point out that we think President Trump did wrong uh, about, you know, taking, dealing with this pandemic thing. And simultaneously, ammo shelves are bare. There's Mm -hmm. no ammo. You can't buy it, right? Like think, think April, May, June, 2020, the beginning of quarantine. Ammo is gone. Right. And and people are saying that the, the next checks are through the roof. People are buying guns like it's going out of style. And if you are the Democratic Party and I'm, I, I, we try not to be you know party people here. Partisan. Partisan. It's the concealcarry.com you know, family. But I'm, I'm talking very specifically about campaign strategy. And that's the machine that I think is relevant to this conversation. Then, then you got to have some degree of awareness that gun control is probably not the thing we should be focusing on right now, right? If if ammo's gone, it's scarce. We're you know people are buying it like crazy, and and everyone, all the best data we have is telling us that we're adding millions of new gun owners in our country every month right now. Um, probably not the best platform to go you know stick a flag on uh, and and run with into this election season. And I think that we're going to continue to see that as a trend. What previously was a major talking point for a political party is now almost completely sidelined at the national level. At the national level, is almost completely sidelined. We're not talking about it anymore. And simultaneously, look at what's actually happening, which all, all the movement in gun world happens at the lo- at the state level, right? Like name something that's happened at the federal level that impacted guns at the U.S. You know, Congress in the last ten years. You, you can't, right? Not since two thousand four. And in two thousand four, all we do is all we did is decide to not renew a law from nineteen ninety four. But since then, we've basically not done anything at the federal level other than direct the ATF to make some bad decisions. There's been so, ATF and State Department. Uh, sure, right. But we're not uh, doing. We're not changing laws. Changes. Yeah, we're 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 changing some administrative direction, right? Uh, uh, primarily via the ATF and and via import things, which we're going to have to talk more about probably here in a minute. But 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 that said, the the battles are taking place at the state level, like they almost always have been, and they they really continue to be. And what are we seeing there? What are we seeing at the state level? Have we had some losses? Yes, totally. Like if we go look at, I'm, I'm, I'm using for my example, like my time period, like 2020, 2021, and 2022 so far, okay, the 20s. So if we look at the 20s, have there been some losses? Yeah, there's been a few. Have there been some wins? 
tons of wins. I mean, crazy, mind-blowing gains in gun rights advocacy at the state level in the 20s. Now, like compare that to the if we looked at an equal period prior, we'd have to look at like the, the latter half of 2017 and all of 2018 and 2019. So if we compare those two and a half years with this two and a half years, the difference is staggering. Uh, relative to what we've seen happen. Where in, the, in 2017, 2018, 2019, we were seeing magazine capacity limitation laws being passed. Uh, we were seeing a lot of uh, uh, storage requirements, universal background check laws uh, being passed and things like that. That That has trended down. And what's trending up is constitutional carry, firearm preemption statutes, and things like that that are strengthening gun rights. Now, I'm speaking very generically. Any one of you might be listening and say, oh, in my state, you know, this is what's happening, and that's not good. But broadly speaking, the trend uh, has been toward gun rights winning and gun control losing at the state level. Uh, I'm, I'm going to specifically talk about constitutional carry for a second, and then I'll stop ranting for a minute, Riley, and let you talk, which is rare. Generally, you do all the talking. Anyway. Look at constitutional carry. Like if we just go back to January 2020, pre-COVID, how many states had constitutional carry? 16. Now, fast forward to today. How many states have constitutional carry? 23. Probably about to be 24. That's crazy. Like how many of the 16? How long did it take us to get the 16? Pretty long time. Like if we look at 2015 to 2020, how many new constitutional carry states did we get? I think two. How many have we gotten since tw- the beginning of 2020? Seven. So, so there's there's some very clear trends here. Is my point mm-hmm. uh, that it, relative to what's happening in politics, relative to how gun control is being diminished as a talking point or a platform a platform topic for that particular party, and and what we're seeing at the state level uh, as far as some of these, these this legislation getting through. Utah, look at Utah alone. Utah tried passing constitutional carry for like a decade. They just barely got it through. Look at Texas. Texas is, is swung more blue than it's ever been before. It still vote, it, it voted Trump in this last election, but the margin was uh, almost like bizarrely close for Texas mm-hmm. uh, relative to the, the red and blue vote. But they passed constitutional carry the, the, the next year, right, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at Georgia. Georgia voted Biden. But they're, they're, they're about to pass constitutional carry, in my opinion. I think it'll get all the way through, and the governor will sign it. So, so we're seeing things like that happen that, in my opinion, are indicative that the, the consumer, the populace, the voting, the voting base is more pro-gun than it's ever been, uh, and, and that that is a dangerous thing to flirt with if you're trying to earn votes. Yeah. So my response to all of that, and I – pretty much agree with you is because you're, you're absolutely correct in that there have been some massive, massive wins on, on the state level for sure. Um, all, in a bunch of different States. I mean, you're, you're not wrong about, uh, uh, about Texas. Although my, my Texan friends, you know, like to joke that even the Democrats down their own guns. Uh, and there's probably some truth to that. So, um, but what I what I have perceived is, while all that is true, the red my my perception is that the red states have gotten more red in this regard, and the blue states have become more blue. And many of the blue states are already so far hard left on the gun issue that 
there's maybe not a lot more things for them to pass. Uh, there's not as much work to do there, I think, in some of those blue states to keep going, you know, anti-gun in that direction as there maybe is in some of these red states to go further to the pro-gun side. Um, but we, I mean, one of the big things that just happened like last week or the week before was the state of Washington passing uh, their 10-round uh, magazine capacity limit and a, and a couple other measures as well, which uh, I took as a as a obviously it was a hugely unfortunate sign but it's a big sign because Washington has historically been quite gun friendly uh, but in recent years has shifted very quickly really really quickly like astoundingly quickly how fast it has swung from pretty much anything goes in our state you know a second amendment level to we're swinging hard left like now and that's unfortunate to see and i i my heart goes out to uh my my washington state friends and family um that are unfortunately reaping the uh, consequences of of those uh recent bills and legislation um and so that's that's kind of i think what i've perceived is you have some states that have uh swung a little bit harder uh you know, there's become, I think, more of a divide because while you have some states like like you have Washington passing magazine capacity laws, you have states that are passing constitutional carry, which like would blow the minds of people in the state of Washington right now. Like that's not even like there's such a huge divide between the state of Washington and the state of, well, even Georgia right now in this regard. It's huge divide. And I think this is something we've we've witnessed in a lot of aspects of our lives is uh, on a uh, on a uh, what's the word on a political but also a, a ideological basis. There's there's you know people seem to be coming a little bit more entrenched in their particular camps that they're in. Uh, we see it. We see this uh, trend a little bit. I think on the local level too, where like here in Colorado, um, and yes, they did. S- pass a couple days ago um what they call the um oh the vote what do they call it the i don't remember what the bill is called i'm trying to think what it's actually called but it it basically limits you from being able to open carry within so many feet of a of a voting location or a ballot drop box that kind of thing which i think is unfortunate like voter protection act or something Yeah. yeah it's like vote without fear or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that, to my knowledge, hasn't been quite signed by uh, Governor Polis, whom I just emailed mm, two days ago saying, you know, sharing my thoughts on that. I'm sure he won't see that, but uh, you never know. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, w- he was recently at the gun range shooting a shotgun. I, and I referenced that in my email, by the way, I was like, you know, I appreciate some of the recent things you've done. Yeah. Um, as an, you know, presenting an example as our state governor showing your support of the shooting sports. Um, and here's why I think this law is dumb <laughs> kind of thing. Like, well, like so, I'm going to prop you up and because I think we should recognize where, where our, our leaders do good things. Um, but, but then we should also call them out when they're, you know, about the trample on, on second amendment rights, but. Absolutely. I, I think that the, the, one of the key takeaways for me from this little political discussion other than the fact that my dog's concerned about something is, is that 
gun control is as an issue is being detached from partisan politics. That that whereas previously it was unthinkable to be a Democrat and vote pro gun, today that's become normal, right? You you could I mean New Hampshire voted that's- Biden, right? Like 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 place. Arizona voted Biden, but they're still very pro-gun. Like we've not seen any movement there uh, to suggest anything is going, you know, on, on the, in the opposite direction. So, so I'm not saying it's completely detached, but compared to where it was 10 years ago, where it was a major talking point of that party, today it's not a talking point of that party at the national level hardly at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what you just said might have been a little bit of a stretch, but but I I don't dis, I don't entirely disagree. Uh, um, it's about trends. I'm not saying that it's, it's factual or less, it's binary. Yeah, and, and this is something we've talked about for pretty much the, since the beginning of this podcast. Was like we need the Second Amendment issue to be a nonpartisan issue. We need people on both the right and the left to recognize the value of the second amendment of personal and self protection and defense of, you know, personal and individual responsibility, you know, uh, of, of taking things like your, um, your, your family's safety and, and security seriously for yourself and taking steps to, to put, put, to put that in your hands. Right. We need it to be a nonpartisan issue because when it becomes less of a partisan issue and you get people on both sides jumping on board, then it's pretty hard to lose the Second Amendment. Um, but again, as as we've seen recently, some examples where, you know, and I know Mark here is commenting on Facebook that he's a Democrat democratic leaning uh, gun owner and supporter and second amendment believer. Uh, and I, and I love Mark for that, you know? Um, but we have, unfortunately a democratic party led state of Washington doing crazy stuff there, you know, that's going the wrong direction. So, so we're, 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 I think we're seeing a trend maybe on the federal level, but we're seeing examples definitely on the state. And the local level example I was going to give was like things like they've tried to do here uh, in Boulder, Colorado, you know, where they've swung really hard towards the anti-gun side in Boulder. Um, So, yeah, um, I'd like to see that trend continue. So you're right. It's a trend and it's a trend that I want to see continue. And that's kind of where we are. and, uh, and, And I hope that we can keep moving that direction. Um, I don't know all the answers as far as how we do that. Uh, but I think part of it is, is that regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, we have to be welcoming of everybody that comes to the second amendment table, you know, and say, Hey, you're welcome here. Sit down. Let's break bread together because you know, you might see things totally differently financial policy wise economic policy wise social policy wise on a variety of things you might see all that very differently from me but i've said it before if you are pro second amendment like truly not not just giving it lip service you and i are friends 
like we 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 are we can be absolute i mean also i still love people of all kinds and types and varieties and backgrounds i i try not to hate people that's just part of who i am as a person and my personal ideologies beliefs and and even uh uh religious beliefs but as it as far as like the political issues man we can be absolute friends if if the two if we're standing side by side at a pro two a rally like cool couldn't care less about the other stuff yeah i i think it is a good trend and i think it is continue hopefully we'll continue and i i also think that you know we think of it as cyclical but we we also got to recognize that that being pro gun in addition to being an up and down roller coaster thing in america it's the overall trend if we look at it like over 30 40 50 years is upward so that's the main takeaway for me is that after this most recent harvest we're at a higher point relative to uh, acceptability of guns and gun rights than we were at the end of the last harvest. So we're raising the bar overall. The trend is upward overall, even though it's still cyclical, it still has its ups and downs and we're coming out of a high right now. Yeah. This is a very fair point that Christy on YouTube brings up. She says, this will never change if we continue to eat our own nonstop it's awful the way gun owners talk to each other. And to be honest, it's very off-putting to people looking in. So we do see that. Uh, I, I'm not going to generalize that a statement like that and say it applies universally because it doesn't. But do we see a lot of negativity within our own house? And by our own house, meaning the, the pro-gun house. Unfortunately, we do. And I think we need to do better in that regard. I think... Like I said a moment ago, we need to be welcoming to everybody that comes into this house. That's tough to do, you know, because a lot of times there's interactions online. People will say stuff uh, online that they would never say to your face. Uh, People will make fun of one another because, well, because of their gear choices, because of their gun choice, because of how they carry, because of how they're dressed, because they're whatever blah, blah, category of individual or person. And, uh, and they would never say some of those things to, you know, in in person directly face to face, but they'll do it online. And I agree. It is, it is harmful to our cause. So we got to get, we got to get on top of that. I hope our listeners of of this podcast uh, will, will, will help in that respect, you know, to, decrease the negativity within our own house and to offer support and, and uh, welcoming and caring and help to, uh, to those that join, join the party here, the, the pro gun side. And to that point, I mean, you, when you have eight or 9 million new gun owners that all of a sudden just bought their first gun and they're looking for answers, looking for information, Right. Uh, that's, I think that's what Christy is saying is like, there's some people come online and see arguments between gun dudes about how your stuff sucks. Mine's awesome. And then suddenly they're like, Hmm, I'm not so sure I want to hang out here. So, yeah, there's schmucks in every, every category. So hopefully that's not, doesn't make anyone think that the gun community at large is bad, but, but we can all do better and we should all strive to do our best. Absolutely. So looking forward now to the uh, uncertain future, Jacob, uh, you know, nobody knows what's going to come. Uh, 
we've already provided evidence of how there's plenty of things where we are now that we couldn't have foreseen a year ago, six months ago, two years ago, whatever. Uh, We don't know what's around the corner, but I am by nature an optimist. Uh, I don't know about Jacob, whether you describe yourself as an optimist. I'd like to think so. I mean, at least you, you put forth effort like you're an optimist at the very least. Um, but looking forward, you know, I mean, fuel prices at an all-time high, inflation going crazy, um, food costs, man, like you should see my grocery bill. <laughs> it is not pretty right now. Um, war, stuff being talked about with China and Taiwan and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things. What's around the corner? We don't know. But what do you, what do you, I mean, how do you see things moving forward, Jacob, both for uh, things, you know, our, our nation, our country, our people in general, but also the, the second amendment um, side of things, the, the industry, so to speak. Well, I'm going to kind of step away from the political discussion and, and get a little bit more into economics and business side of this. Cause I think mm-hmm. I had said all I had to say about the political side. Yeah. Uh, ammunition is going to continue to be a problem. So, We've had ammo shortages in the past, I think 2008, 2009, um, and, and then, of course, 2020. And, and generally, I think we've rebounded from those back to what I would call previous levels. But I don't think we'll ever rebound back to a previous level. So I think the ammunition shortage that we saw in 2020 and, and we started to see it come back in 2021, I don't I – don't, personally foresee a world where it will come back to normal levels. A, a couple of things I think the average consumer don't doesn't know about ammunition as an industry. The, the money in ammunition is at the manufacturing level, and even there, only at great scale and volume. Uh, retailers make little to no money on ammunition at all, uh, especially your local gun stores. So you're going into you know, Bob's Guns down the corner. He does all your gunsmith work. You love him to death. Uh, which we could have a long chat here about the retail side of the gun world. I got a lot of opinions about that, but specific to ammunition, I promise Bob makes very little to no money on ammo. Um, it is it is on his shelves as a way to get you in the door, hoping that you'll buy something else that actually makes the dude money. So so it's a very low margin commodity. Uh, in in our it, it is not the bottled water of the gun world. Like it is it is extremely tight margin. Uh, product and and the people like Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's who are buying it in massive volumes, um, yes, they're getting it cheap enough that they can turn some margin on that stuff. But the people who really make the money in, in ammunition are the manufacturers. It's Federal, it's you know Remington or whoever it is that that's not those are same companies or whatever. But but it's it's you know it's the people actually making the ammo and even then they're really not making a ton on a per unit basis. Like they don't have the margins of of. <laughs> I said bottled water, but you know we're not talking about eighty percent margins. You know we're talking about good margins in ammo are sub fifty percent, and most mar- most industries have more than a fifty percent margin at the manufacturing level. And then you go through wholesalers and distributors who take a chunk of the pie, and retailers generally still have twenty five to thirty thirty five percent margin on a product. Ammunition has never been that way. Uh, well, at least not not in the time I've been in this industry, right? Which is relatively, you know, short period of time, call it 15, 20 years. So, so now we're in a world where demand is way up, okay? Supply is down. We can't get the raw materials at the same prices or availabilities we used to be able to. People are buying more of it than they used to buy. So prices are completely jacked. 
Uh, margins are still problematic. And it's becoming almost a put off for some retailers, right? You have retailers who are, who are buying products when the prices were here and then turn around trying to sell it after the prices dropped. And now they're taking losses on ammunition and guns. So, so I think we're going to see ammunition not return to its, its normal levels because I think demand is not going to drop in any significant way more than it has from 2020 to 2022. I think we, we we're kind of flatlined on where you could expect demand to be. Um, people have shown they're willing to pay the current prices and the current prices are better than they used to be, right? We're not paying a thousand dollars for a hundred rounds of nine millimeter. We're not paying $800 for a thousand rounds of nine millimeter, but we're, we're happily paying 350 bucks where we never would have done that in 2019. So, they're, they're making it all that they can. New manufacturers are coming online and barely scraping by to get along. Nine uh, millimeter is basically a break-even you know, product in, in the marketplace. No one makes any money on nine millimeter unless you're a big player. And, and that's what most people are buying. I don't think we're going to see a world where ammunition gets much cheaper than it is today. Maybe a little bit, but I, I don't think it'll ever go back to 2019 levels. And because of that, there's some ripple effects from that, right? We're going to see uh, dry fire, dry fire tools, dry fire products, dry fire drills, dry fire training continue to grow at massive levels, which it has been uh, over the last five years and especially over the last two. And I think we're also going to see um, it, other impacts that the ammunition has on law enforcement, uh, on the military, on these other agencies that have uh, fixed budgets. Yeah. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on how you referenced in the past when we've seen increases that we we saw things go back to previous levels. And I would say we I would say not quite, but I'd say that we got back close to previous levels. And by that, I mean, like, OK, so talk about the late 2000s and into the early uh, 2010s when we kind of had our previous uh, shortage, if you will. Uh, we saw, we did see things climb substantially, and then it took a few years, but it it, it came back down. But we n- we've never seen twenty two long rifle, for instance, get quite back to what it was in say two thousand five, two thousand six. Nine millimeter got pretty close to where it was, but maybe uh, fifty cents to a dollar more. Um, so I mean, it. it, it but well, I will hold say, on, fifty cents to a dollar more. Per box. Per, per box Talking of 50. Per box. Okay. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, that kind of, it's like, like I remember back in the, the mid 2000s paint, you could find a uh, nine millimeter for like six, six fifty a box. And uh, when things came back down after uh, that, uh, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s shortage, uh, you know, we got down to a to close to that, sure. seven seven fifty a box. But but you're, I mean, that's a that's that's nothing compared to what I'm just describing, right? You're talking about difference between six dollars a box and eight dollars a box. And I'm talking about the difference between eight dollars a box and thirty dollars a box. Sure. So 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 here's here here would be my yeah. So I I don't think we're coming out of this current situation anytime soon, unfortunately. Now now. Let me let me back up a little bit. If we go back a year or so, uh, things were pretty rough price wise and supply wise. Um, but it has eased up a little, a little. What's curious to me, and it could just be that there's a cascading effect, and it had things haven't quite caught up to like some of the uh, the individual component supplies, but. 
you know, where say six, eight months ago, maybe nine millimeter was closer to $500 a case or $600 a case. I saw some crazy prices for, um, we seem to be leveling out a little bit in the, in the interim around the 300 to $350 mark per, per case. So per thousand rounds, um, primers curiously have, have actually gotten more expensive, uh, in recent, uh, months. So I remember even less than a year ago, I bought primers probably, I think last June, July, I bought some primers for about 60 bucks per thousand. Um, then they went up to about 80 bucks per thousand. That would have been like the September, October, November timeframe of last year. And then around, uh, the, the turn of the year, uh, as we went into 2022, we started inching up to $100 per thousand. And now I'd say we're probably more like $120 per thousand for primers. So while factory produced ammunition seems to have stabilized and eased up some, primers have continued to get more expensive, which I found pretty interesting. But that'll be a self-correcting problem because what will happen is when 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 primers were say 60 to 80 dollars per thousand i think you saw some people shift from buying factory loaded ammo to well i'm going to start reloading because even though primers are more expensive than what they were i can still reload and it be more cost effective than buying the factory stuff now i think we're getting kind of to a place where it's sort of like well maybe with factory ammo being closer to that 300 per case price um, it might just make sense for me just to buy that instead of trying to buy primers and reload. And so as that maybe adjusts a little bit, I think maybe primer prices will ease. Now, sadly, I saw in the last week or so, and I, I hadn't had the opportunity to verify this, if this was verified information or not, but I did see a, it appeared to be a screenshot of a, a like a press release from Vista Outdoors seeming su- to suggest that they were concerned still about their current uh, primer availability and that basically they were stating that they weren't going to be releasing any new primers for the remainder of 2022 to the consumer market. And if that's true, that's very, very concerning, at least on the primer supply side of, of things. So, um, Again, I didn't have the chance to, you know, it could have been one of those things that somebody put out there or photoshopped or made it look like it was an official uh, a statement from Vista Outdoors. Um, I didn't get a chance. I couldn't really, a, a, a cursory search didn't reveal any like news stories uh, verifying that information, something I need to dig into. But but that would be concerning if that's true, because we have a long ways to go in 2022 and to not have any new primer production available to consumers. Ooh. I could get real rough. It has been very reassuring, Jacob, to see up-and-coming producers like our sponsor, Mountain City Supply, uh, come into this kind of crazy, chaotic, uncertain world and grasp it by the horns and build entire flourishing businesses uh, from scratch. I, I mean, I think part of it is that with prices being what they have been, it kind of, if, if they can get creative in how they source their components and if they can manage to, to build quality ammo, I, you know, I, I think some of them look at it as an opportunity. Well, prices are high, so the margins may actually work. Whereas when it was, you know, 17, 18 cents around, 
an up and starting, you know, a new start, uh, a new upstarting ammo manufacturer is probably not an easy thing to do. It'd be very so, hard to compete with uh, with the big boys in that regard. Outside of margin, a lot of it comes down to demand, right? Yeah. When when the demand yeah. surpasses the um, supply, that's when it's prime time to enter a marketplace. Yeah, because the yeah. consumers are willing to look beyond where they would normally look for the product. Yeah. <clears throat> so so yeah, companies like Mountain City Supply and others uh, are yep. making a run right now. Um, despite the business being tough because demand is, is outpacing supply. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. It basically is like a a guaranteed, like you're, you're going to sell product. Yeah. That question Um, is, can you snag up enough market share so that should the marketplace change, you can, you can survive on the downturn. Right. And I think, I think city supply is doing a very good job, but that's, that's just like the nature of the business economics. Yeah. And I don't want to give the impression that like the margins are so amazing that they're just like making money hand over fist. (laughs) They have, they have uh, been able to build a, a viable business and relatively they're employing order, you know, a couple of years. Uh, And I appreciate their approach uh, in that, as I've talked with uh, Chris, their owner, their founder, um, and others there about things, and I've asked him the, the tough question of like, well, Chris, like, what does this look like for you guys if in a year uh, prices are half of what they are now? You know, like just like worst case scenario uh, and margin is like, like right now margin for nine millimeter is already very, very, very tight for them, um, primarily because their component costs are very very expensive as well you know so it's sort of like well what if you what if prices come down but uh, components are still difficult to get or are are still relatively expensive and and you just can't make it and sell it and make any money whatsoever and um they are what i appreciate about them as a new business is they're constantly looking for ways to make their processes better uh faster more efficient uh, so that, uh, you know, planning for the future, in other words, that they can set themselves up for, for, a um, a time where, you know, they, they have more automation in place, uh, and more efficient processes in place so they can make stuff, you know, with less overhead, less cost, less direct cost to the production of that, of that product. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, we look at, we've talked about all these challenges and struggles, uh, economically and in the uh, firearms and ammunition industries. Um, But it is refreshing to see companies that are, that are succeeding uh, and doing their best to bring a quality product to market and not like rake people over the coals in terms of cost. Cause if you go to their website and this has been true for some time now, like they have very reasonable prices based on current market conditions and and that and that is appreciated because there definitely are companies out there that are, that are still, you know, they they're pricing things quite a bit more. So, um, uh, yeah, it's it's good to see see what they're able to do and other companies like them as well. And I I, I hope that it continues for them. And I am optimistic for the future for them and for others, especially for for them. I mean they. They sponsor us, and I like them, and I like their ammo, so uh, I want to be able to continue shooting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, other things that I think are on the horizon, or that we're going we're going to see, I think we're going to see some price control things happen. <clears throat> Most industries explain. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- and I think we'll also see a distribution chain change quite a bit in the gun industry. Mm-hmm. Our industry is is has been traditionally 
behind the curve on most things. Mm. Like when things change, our industry is slow to adapt to changes in the way business and, and things are done. And I think that these, this is, I'm giving two examples of things that I think a lot of industries have changed in that our industry has not yet changed. And so we're going to see them change. <clears throat> One is price control. What I mean by price control is, is, uh, is what is generally known as minimum advertised price or MAP price. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the, the world of commerce has changed dramatically because it used to be you, could, you went into a retailer, you saw a product, and you said, well, if I want this product, I guess this is what it costs and I buy it. And then now today someone walks into a retailer, they see a, a product, they see the price, they pull out their phone, they scan the barcode, they see what it costs on eBay or Amazon or any number of other retailers, and then they walk out and buy it elsewhere if it's cheaper elsewhere. And that makes it really hard for retailers to succeed. Now, on one hand, I'm a capitalist and I'm like, whatever, <laughs> so be it. You know, but in the gun community, there's some very unique things that, that make that difficult to completely adapt. For one, as an industry, we cannot eliminate retail. It's, it, it'd be illegal, right? We, you can't sell a gun purely online today. The purchase can be made online. The money can be exchanged online. But the, the gun, the possession, the customer has to take possession of the gun at a dealer, at a retail operation. Right. So, so as an industry, we can't eliminate the retailer, but what we can do is put ourselves in a bind where we don't provide enough financial incentive for a retailer to exist. And a lot of other industries are starting to figure this out. They're starting to figure out that, hey, uh, you know, XYZ comp corporation who's got deep pockets can afford to buy 1 billion widgets from me. And so I'm going to give them an extremely good price and they, they're going to go put those on Amazon. Amazon controls 40% of the of the e-commerce space in America and they're going to you know sell them really cheap and that's going to make it so that Bob's retail store down at the corner of Main and Broadway who's also selling the same widget can't afford to keep doing it because he can't even get them at the price that people can buy them on Amazon right Bob would be better off to buy them on Amazon retail uh frankly than he is to buy them wholesale from from the distributor and that causes a problem. Now, the way most industries solve this problem, if they if they want to manage this in a way that keeps the world happy, is they institute minimum advertised pricing. So they go to all of their buyers and they say, hey, from now on, you can't sell this widget for less than $9.99. That's just the way it's going to be. It doesn't matter if you're paying us $4 for it or $7 for it. You can't sell it for less than $9.99. That's that minimum advertised pricing, that pricing control uh, creates an even playing field where everyone can be competitive. Now, so, again, capitalism, right? Any given vendor, any given manufacturer can do whatever they want. Anybody who can make money do, you know, can make money. People are, are have no overhead because they have no retail, no brick and mortar, and they can afford to take a lower margin, and therefore they can do more scale, more volume, get the product even cheaper, and increase their margin. That's a business model that I'm fine with. I have no problem. Uh, there's no moral judgment here. What mm -hmm. I'm saying simply is that the, the firearm industry is unique in that we cannot eliminate retail. But if we, we, we effectively can force retailers out of business by not giving them a means to do business. And what you find today is that the, the larger uh, gun retail operations, think uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, those guys won't do transfers, right? I can't buy a gun online today and go pick it up at Cabela's. It's against their corporate policy. Uh, for whatever reason, that's not really relevant to this discussion. So I got to go to Bob's Guns down at the corner. So Bob's Guns has got to continue to exist or we're going to have some serious problems. The same online retail e-commerce giants that are causing the problem for the retailers 
they themselves will have an even bigger problem if they if they force the local retailer to go out of business. So the way to solve that problem and, and what most other industries have done is by instituting price control. So that's that's what I mean when I say we'll see price control. The other thing I think we'll see is we'll see the 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 deletion of the middleman. So what you see if you go back 20, 30 years and you go to a retail outlet, retail outlets buy their products from wholesalers or distributors. Those wholesalers and distributors buy it directly from manufacturer or or vendor, right? And and that's how the chain was created. Today, that chain, most industries have are, have been eliminating distributors and middlemen for a long time because the, yeah. the the internet creates an environment where the consumer can tell you what their favorite product is. They can tell you what they want you to stock, right? You don't need the distributor to walk in and say, hey, you should stock such and such. We think it's selling really well. Like, no, the, the marketplace will speak to you. Uh, that's the nature of the internet. So you no longer need the distributor to tell you what to stock and you no longer need the distributor to give you access to the product. You can, you know, send fill out a contact form on a web page and be, and go dealer direct to any given manufacturer and get their product directly and pay less than you would have paid with the middleman with the distributor in most cases. So I think we're going to see the distribution model shift and change in the gun industry the same way it has in other industries. And I also think that's a good thing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, all very well and fine. I mean, likely. Um, I don't think you're wrong about that at all. And you're absolutely correct uh, about how slow this industry uh, adapts to change. Um, yeah, most gun manufacturers still spend more than half their ad budget on print advertising. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And how many of you are actually, I mean, I could be surprised by this, I suppose, but how many of you actually... Uh, getting uh, gun magazine subscriptions delivered to your house in hard, you know, paper form, you know, and consuming them. Yeah. 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 I know, I know, I know you're out there, but I think it's a lot less <laughs> now than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago, especially. So yeah. Uh, good, good thoughts there. Uh, I, yeah. Looking forward I think there's going to be some challenges for sure for us as a people, for us as a nation, for us as an industry. Uh, but I, I remain optimistic because I, I we, we've already gotten through so much. Um, we've already talked about how the future, I think, is quite bright in a lot of respects with, with regard to uh, gun legislation, uh, the passage of constitutional carry legislation in various states. I mean, we're basically at the precipice of about, we're about to have half of the states throughout the entire United States that will have some kind of constitutional carry bill or law on the books. And that is, uh, that is really remarkable. I mean, it's not that many years ago that we were excited about states that were finally allowing shall issue permitted carry you know and and here we are where we're at about to reach the the point of half of the united states in terms of state number number of states that will not even require a permit for a law-abiding citizen to carry a gun concealed yeah that's phenomenal in in 2010 we're talking just 12 years ago wisconsin and illinois did not even have a concealed carry program there was no permit. You couldn't get one. There was no legal way to carry a concealed gun in Wisconsin and Illinois in, in tw- just 12 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen massive progress there. 
and it's 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 yeah. going to keep coming. Of course, the uh, McDonald ruling might have had something to do with that, at least in uh, Illinois. Illinois, yeah. But uh, it, well, when a federal court tells you you have to institute a permit <laughs> program or just let people carry without one, you yeah. institute a, a, a permit yeah. program. Yeah, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, we're we're still here waiting. We expect, I think, in the May or June timeframe to hear the final ruling from the Supreme Court on that case out of New York State uh, that uh, could have some implications there uh, to continue to expand the rights, the right to carry uh, throughout the nation. And so we'll see if that uh, goes the goes our way. Um, but it, but even the fact that that case got before the Supreme Court, I think, you know, again, a step in the right direction. And uh, we may still see some future cases. And, and right now, the, you know, the, the makeup of the court is favorable in this regard. So um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see what the next presidential election brings. It'll be interesting to see what the, the state and uh, also your U.S. representative and U.S. Senate races um, bring later this year. So, um, yeah, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I'm not excited about the fuel prices I'm paying currently, especially driving <laughs> a full-size diesel-powered pickup. Uh, I'm not excited about the the food prices. And unfortunately, I actually think that some of those things may get worse before they get better. Uh, and and I, I am not looking forward to that, especially on the food side of things. I think that uh, food is going to continue to increase. Uh, hopefully, fuel doesn't too much more. If it does, it probably will. Um, but uh, I definitely think that food is going to be more expensive. Uh, ammo, if it continues going the way it, w- it is, well, hopefully it's, it's doesn't get worse. If it, you know, I don't know. We'll see. So, but what I do know is we have amazing people out there in this world. We have amazing listeners and viewers and followers of this podcast. And I hope that you all will continue to do the right stuff. You will continue to practice, continue to train, continue to attend training. I hope that we'll see many of you at the Guardian Conference later this year in September in Oklahoma City. Um, Because while there's a lot of challenges in the world, we we still need to keep moving forward and and making ourselves better uh, concealed carriers, better self-defenders, better protectors of the Second Amendment, better protectors of ourselves and our families. And so, yeah. That's all I got to say about that. Final, any, anything final you want to add, Jacob, before we wrap it up? I think that uh, <clears throat> adding six to eight million gun owners is a temporary win if those gun owners don't become gun hobbyists. Uh, I'm being very careful sure. with that choice of words. But our industry survives, and the Second Amendment is supported by people who use guns regularly not just people who bought them once. Uh, If you think that six to eight million people went and bought guns and all went and got permits and all are out there shooting a hundred rounds a week, you're crazy. Um, It's just, it just, that just, it didn't happen. Um, So, so go find those people who, you know, who joined us in the not too distant past and help them turn this into a hobby. A hobby is something you do on a regular basis, even if you can't fully justify it. For any practical reason, this happens to be something you can justify for practical reasons if you orient the hobby toward defensive uh, skills and use. 
but um, we need people consuming the products. We need people buying ammo and shooting it. We need people buying uh, holsters and you know whatever other stuff that we sell because I like selling things. And that, that's that's how we're going to continue to support the industry. Uh, continue to buy local, support your local gun shops. Tell them that they should be carrying our products and other products that you like. And uh, yeah, you know, let's let's get people to be to consume product and, be, and and support the Second Amendment by making it part of their lifestyle, yeah. not so, not not a thing they did once. Yeah, that, that was actually. I'm glad you threw that out there at the end because, uh, like you say, hobby, and I also like my mind goes to like a hobby is part of your lifestyle. You know, something that you actually do and take seriously and enjoy, like that, that does become part of your lifestyle. That's the other word I really like to use. Um, yes, 100%. Good, good thoughts there to wrap it up. Uh, I think all of us, you know, can uh, make it a little more each day, each week, each month, a little more a part of our lives, a little bit more of our lifestyle. And uh, I think that uh, it makes us better as a people makes us better prepared and more capable. Um, we continue, like I said, to see so many examples of law abiding folk defending themselves from violent attacks out there. And uh, like, that's such a reassuring thing to see. I mean, we've seen an increase in crime in recent history and, it, and you can think back to like the, the sixties, and like late 60s and early 70s, when there was a substantial increase in crime, it's probably the last time that we saw this, like, well, and up into th- the 80s too, a little bit. But there, that, that, that period of time in our history was known as a, as a time where crime was increasing. But the difference between then and the difference between now is we didn't have people toting guns with them for personal protection back in the late sixties and seventies and even early eighties, like we do now. And so when, when crime increased and became more prevalent, uh, we simply had more victims and now we have people that can actually stand up for themselves. So that's a good thing. Hope it continues. Not, not that the crime continues, but I hope that we, what continues is the, is the part that we can control as making sure our, ourselves are, are prepared and, and better. Uh, as uh, as gun carriers. So uh, again, today's episode sponsored by ccwsafe.com. In a world of, world of un- uncertainty, it's nice to know that a company like CCW Safe is backing you up should you need their services. So please support them, ccwsafe.com. Use CC Podcast as a special discount code for podcast listeners to save 10%. Also, uh, let's see, who else do we have? Oh, yeah, Gunfighter Gun Oil, gunfighteroil.com. If you want to keep your guns running, you want to keep them clean, use Gunfighter Gun Oil. So, guys, that's what we got. We'll see you next week. Until then, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.